Hello and welcome to the latest in the Balderton podcast series. I'm Ben Goldsmith and I'm here today with Graham Cook, the CEO and co-founder of Cubit. Hello, Great Graham. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. What we're going to talk about today is building a team. And we're talking to Graham about this because he's well, comparatively unique within uh, the entrepreneur community and that Graham and Cubit have now raised three rounds of funding. They've raised their Series C this year, earlier this year in 2016, led by Goldman Sachs. Way back in 2012, Balderton led the Series A, just over $7 million, and Axel came in at the midpoint and I think uh, led around for about 20, 26 or $27 yeah, million. Correct, dollars. Exactly. Um, but what we want to do first, let's treat it chronologically, rewind all the way back to Graham when you were founding Qubit with three former colleagues, I think, from, from, from Google. Google. Yeah. Um, and you said something quite interesting, you know, as we were having a chat before the recording, that you felt that your founding team was quite large. There were four of you, and you had um, mutually exclusive but collectively exhaustive skills, which had upsides and downsides. So I'd just like to start with your thoughts on that, that, that larger team and what that brought. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we were planning Qubit, we were really thinking about um, what the ideal team would be to create a company. And what Google gives you is an incredible learning environment for how to build a great technology, how to build a great business. And you have just this, it's like doing a, I was there for five years, it's like doing an MBA times five. You know, it just, you learn so much so quickly. And so we were looking at setting up the business. We were thinking about what the right team would be. And I'd been talking to a number of you know Dan and Emre over the years, like should we do something? Ian I'd worked with for years at, at Google. And we thought, let's put a team together that has all these different skills you need to build a, a great tech company. And so Emre, the CTO, he can program, he can product manage, he can think of all those things. Dan, you know, expert at like operations and how to, how to design efficient business and processes and go to market. And then Ian had been hugely successful on the marketing side and go to market strategy. And so, and myself, more sort of like ideas, products, sales, and uh, just sort of general how to do stuff. And so we kind of put that team together. We're like, this is a, almost thought of it like a band. This, this is a band that, so you have drums, vocals, guitars, bass. A little bit like that. And we, and we thought of it like a band and, the, and how would the band operate and go on tour. And we had a very specific idea of what we wanted to solve, which was many people go to a website. This is back when, before mobile sites were that big, but many yeah. people go to a website and they don't buy. They don't buy something. And you spend money to acquire them and they've been that site and they browse the site, but they don't buy something. So how do we solve that problem? And we went in with a, a specific product solution to solving that problem. Um, and we all effectively worked in our different roles to build that. And uh, it was effective to a point. But what ended up happening was that we started to become a bit consensus on designing the business and the product. And we had to, so the advantage was we had all the different parts to really get the business up and running. We got revenue early days with trial customers. We did about $500,000 in our first year of business, which is rare for a business to, to, to actually generate half a million yeah. dollars in its first year. Um, but 
what we were doing was was too much consensus design. So it also, yeah, because from what you're saying, it all sounds like pretty good news. You're saying mm. revenues are good, product is good, yeah. etc. For such a young company with only four people, um, however, because of such clearly defined verticals that you look after, mm. it got a bit too. Uh, you agreed with each other too much. Yeah, you don't want to be. Well, we didn't agree with each other much. That, that, <laughs> that was for one thing. We, there, right. were, there were, I mean, noted. It was actually um, in the earliest days. There were times where we had to like leave the off. We, you know, have a big screaming fight, which was good. It's healthy debate. Some of the early employees were slightly terrified, but you know what we were, we were, we were really doing here was we were doing good business, good marketing, good initial product, but we weren't focusing on like great. Like, what is the single strength that we need to really focus on? And we had to break down our roles into, like, you're going to focus on that, I'm going to focus on this, and, and move away from any type of consensus. That was a critical first year learning. And I see founding teams now are getting larger and larger. So, to, you know, the founding teams typically are getting big. that the, the biggest risk of a larger founding team in its early days is consensus. And you really... Right can't reach consensus across all founders you need to have that um strong direction you know led by one you know or two people or or it's quite a dangerous thing so that's quite interesting because i think it, it's a natural almost human reaction to think that i'm founding something with four or five other people for mm. example in a larger founding team we should be driving to towards one common yeah. vision but what you're saying is because you all have your unique skills, you'll have a very particular thing that you're great at. You should almost have one driving goal each and that will lift the whole business behind you. Yeah, and, and, and you have to have, I think you have to get to that point where you have that. And I think that, you know, what I've seen is, um, you know, I had experience building product with Emre. So Emre and I built products at Google and, and we never, we don't, we don't necessarily reach consensus yeah. and that's a very healthy thing. And so we, we learned to embrace that and we learned that we will have to battle for the better idea. And um, that has led us to build better and better product as a result of that. So let's talk about <clears throat> the first hires that weren't in that four people, the four people that you, you, you know, came from Google with and started Qubit with. What was the potentially the, the most important hire or maybe the most difficult hire that you made outside the four? And, and why was it difficult? Yeah, I mean, we were very focused on, we had these initial customers. So as we left the business, it was a um, couple of ex-Google people were like, hey, you guys have left. Uh, you want to help us with this problem? And so we got some initial interest from customers. So the first two hires we made were, we had to make an, hire, an engineer. We had to hire a person to help us deliver the work we were doing with the customer. Um, and so we actually called on our network. So I'd worked with this great person at Google um, and they contacted me saying, what you're doing is interesting and I'd like to look at that. And they quickly you know, interviewed and started with us and you know, took a big leap of faith and they're still with us today. Um, and uh, they helped build a lot of our, our systems, underlying systems. And then the first person to to start working with our customers also with us still today. So like literally the first two people are still with Fantastic. us today. So they've managed to scale with the business yeah. because that's something doing these podcasts and just talking to entrepreneurs you hear a lot of that they say, entrepreneurs say that I had a fantastic first, second, third hire. The third hire was great for two years and then they, their job almost became non-existent because they'd done it. 
yeah, because they have a very launch-related job. But you didn't see that with yeah. These, the, the, these two have evolved over time. They've, they're they're in the they're in different roles almost. But I mean, the person in engineering is still in engineering, but the the other the other person's moved into a completely different function. I see. So what they do every day has changed. So yeah. it's almost you need to evolve their yeah. role with the person because if and they keep a, doing the same thing, that's a hiring criteria. So that's one of the hiring criteria we look for is it was an unofficial one at the time but we look yeah. for people that are able to reinvent themselves because we are all about reinventing ourselves just like the band again yeah i guess so. <laughs> <laughs> he goes like the beatles throughout yeah, the 60s yeah. this is fantastic Brilliant. <laughs> uh one thing i wanted to talk about because you've mentioned this before not only in conversation but you know in interviews and such that a really important hire that you guys feel you got right was the cfo because that wasn't potentially one of the skills you had in the the Fab Four, yeah. it's what needed to come from outside. How did you make that hire? Yeah, I mean, that was actually, I was running the finance of the company and uh, my approach to finance was we'll help fund the business by not paying the bills on time. And uh, <laughs> that was not something that uh, some of the team agreed with. And I was, you know, I was not the person to run. I can understand their point of view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things, so we actually had a, a seed investor, uh, early stage seed investor come into the business and say, look, we'll, we're going to put um, their family office, they've been a great investor. Mm. We're going to put a million dollars into your business, but we need a person who's responsible with the, with the spending of this money. So we actually, it was a, okay, we'll hire a CFO and, um, we interviewed a lot of people. We interviewed, I think, face-to-face uh, -face interviews, like 50 people. And um, almost right at the end, we were really sort of like, this, there's no one out there who's right for this role. Because they were, it was the bionic man. They had to have, you know, they had to be qualified. They had to have experience. They had to have worked within tech of some sort. Um, and they had to know how to help us responsibly spend. We found Jamie and, uh, you know, he's, he, again, disrupts himself and, and, and every year takes the business to the next level, um, which is, again, this you know, critical hiring criteria. And at the time, you say, you know, this guy needed to be the bionic man. Was Jamie at the beginning, did he have a bit of everything or did you almost have to say, look, come on, guys, we have to almost take a hit on one of those skills we definitely want. And if he's good at six out of those eight, for example, that fine, we've got the best guy and he can learn the last two or, or something yeah, like I mean, that. Yeah, it was like, we, you know, Jamie had the the fundamental experience level, but he, you know, he's had to develop his experience over over his career at Cuba, and he started in two thousand eleven, so he's been over five years here. So you know, that was the okay. You know, we'll take somebody who's got all the fundamentals, got all the the background, but but we'll need to build up experience over so time. A bit of potentially is that a good piece of advice for entrepreneurs that are at an earlier stage that sometimes you're not going to find the bionic man. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, that, that we used to do bionic man, woman hiring yeah. um, all the way through, and that was very painful. But your, your core team, it's so important to get it right. And I'd say pretty much all our core team, you know, a lot of our core team are still here because they were, you know, capable of reinventing themselves. Like that has to be, that was such an important criteria for us because when you're, early stage you're, you're kind of a learning or you're really a learning organization you're, you're doing product market fit you're really trying to figure out what exactly are we doing and how will it what what market does it fit into especially with the strategy we were going with it was a real consolidation play of, of, of inefficient technologies 
the people we needed were the people that could go on that journey with us. But later on in the company, so the last two years, two or three years, we've looked for people that have a specific set of experience and we, and we can bring them in and put them into the role they need to do. And that's really critical for things like sales and for managing sales teams and for things like um, you know, product management. You know, this is just a really good way to do something. We don't have that experience, so we need to bring that experience in. So it's less bionic person. It's more like you, you fit really well in this area and we'll, we'll learn together. The benefit of specialists, I suppose. Yeah. But that's after quite a long journey for Qubit in that, as we mentioned right at the top of the show, mm -hmm. you, you guys have raised three big rounds mm -hmm. of funding, not counting the seed and the early stuff, uh, A, B, and C. Most yeah. recently, earlier this year, $40 million led yeah. by Golden, Goldman Sachs. I would imagine that each of those raises have marked almost a different period in the life of Qubit as that injection of funds yeah. allows you to do a different thing. You mentioned before that, you know, the A was very much yeah. product, the B was expansion into new markets, and the C is now really doubling down on unit yeah. economics, etc. Yeah, exactly. Do each of those stages mark a different, uh, a different approach in terms of building the team and hiring? Yeah, they absolutely do. And um, one of the things, I mean, even through, as we've spoken, when we were talking to Balderton, talking to Bernard, um, in the A, we were very much like, we're, we're doing product market fit, um, and this is why we're gonna be big. And then the you know, feedback was, yeah, you've got something here, you need to hire more sales expertise. So you need to hire uh, you know, a person who knows how to build big sales teams. And you know, we'd had an amazing, Nick Smith joined you know, early on as, the, uh, as our first salesperson from Google, and was, was phenomenal at building up our business. But what we want to do is bring in um, to support a person who's built up large sales teams. And um, what we had there was uh, we looked for somebody, looked to the market, we, we hired that, 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 that specific expertise. Nick was somebody who we knew would grow, would, would disrupt himself and grow with the business, but we needed somebody who had specific experience to, to, to support and augment the, the early stage sales strategy. And that was absolutely the right thing. That, that got us to grow really fast on sales. Um, faster than we planned. And then, um, you know, we were able to then, then we created that model in America, you know, as, as sort of the B round. We're like, now we have to go to the States. So let's take that model and apply it to the US. Hire a general manager, hire a sales team. And, um, you know, we learned various different ways of that. But uh, it's early phases, like almost series A, that you're kind of, you need to find these people who are very flexible and mm. very risk you know, open to taking risks and can deal with the fact that you're going to change direction and change. And sometimes if you hire specialists too early, you will find these people going, what are you doing? That's not the way to do it. And they don't see how to do that. And they might challenge the founder vision and it can be quite tough. And I've seen companies fail because they brought in specialists too early. Did you ever experience that yourselves at Qubit or were you quite careful not to bring in specialists? Uh, too 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 soon not at a not at a management level we probably did it at an engineering level we probably brought specialists in from an engineering team perspective and so what would happen there is they would be like no this is the way we do it this is the way we're going to build it and we'd be like no we'd be more fluid in our design concepts and we would have a real tension that somebody's like no this is how you have to build it and there's so much shifting i mean we're ultimately we're, we're, we're a data company yeah. that 
drives relevant customer experiences based off very large data sets. And so there's been such a shift in the last five years in how data systems work. If you have really specialist ways of thinking, you could build the wrong data system. And so one of our earliest engineering hires was you know, somebody who we, we could really work with to understand the market dynamic from you know, the Hadoop ecosystem through to you know, AWS and through Google Cloud. There's been so many shifts. If you don't have those people, you can be in real trouble. And does a part of that come uh, down to company culture as well? It's something we often talk about on the podcast is that kind of belief or those you know systems of thinking that really run throughout an entire organization. Because we're talking about hiring people now. Qubit is a huge team. We're sitting yeah. just on one of the floors on your multi-floored yeah. office here in, you know, in Covent Garden. Um, I would imagine that you're at a stage now where you, Graham, or you, you know, one of the founding team, doesn't sit in on every single interview. There has to be uh, some kind of delegation, mm -hmm. I would imagine, when it comes to growing the individual teams. Yeah, I mean, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, <laughs> culture is way, way more important. If you can create the right culture and values for your team, then you'll continue to hire great A-player type people. Um, if you have a strategy for hiring and only that, You'll, you'll make mistakes and you'll hire bad people and B people hire C people and that's the end of a company. So, you know, and it's also to state the obvious, a company today, especially software as a service, you know, 90% of our costs are people, you know, so it's all about hiring the right people. That is, you know, how you're gonna build your product. So you have to scale that out. And yeah, I, I can't, you know, I can't interview every single person. I do review every single person's hiring pack. And I do know that there is a cultural fit is a major part of our hiring process. And Google did hiring really well. And so we, we learned a lot about how to hire effectively um, and, and how to create a good process. And that has led us to, to having a pretty good success rate. But then you also need to be very quick at determining whether that person's right when, when they are hired. So we've had to improve our approach to assessing people when they're in, in the job as well. And that's, I think, a lot of people forget that. It's not just the hiring. It's also that first three months that they're, they've started. You've got to be pretty quick to say, this person's not right. And that's interesting because I would imagine that I know that a lot of earlier stage entrepreneurs listen to the podcast. Probably not something they've had to do too much in the past or maybe thinking about mm -hmm. making the first, second, third hires. Process before hiring, I think there's lots of people talking about that, but the yeah. process after the hire, yeah. that's quite interesting. Yeah. So could you almost delve into that a little bit? What does that actually look like? How does the review system work? Yeah, I mean, we, we actually have evolved this quite a lot, but now we create, um, it's a, you have a peer review probation. So it's not a manager probation, it's a peer review. So your peers effectively are the ones who will feed back what it's like to work with you in your first three months. Um, and if, you know, if it hasn't worked out, then, then, you know, we part ways and anytime we part ways with somebody, it's just like, look, this isn't going to be good for you and it's not going to be good for us. And, you know, there are other opportunities out there. So, you know, we've taken a, a, a very objective way of looking at it. It's been a really effective process for us as well. And, and just generally speaking, anytime you think someone isn't right, the minute you really start to think that you, 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 you will end up letting that person go. So. The sooner you can do that, the more efficient you'll be as a business. And we really try and not make it 
a ruthless, you know, unemotional thing, but you, you do need to realize that building a business is about everybody being in a boat together and having the wrong person on board can be very bad. That is very interesting because what you've said is almost it's a, a mixture of objective peer review, you know, almost taking that emotional bit out, but there is still a bit of, if there's a gut reaction to a certain person, that this person just doesn't fit the cubit culture or the cubit way of doing things, for example, trust that. So yeah. it's achieve, as an entrepreneur, it's achieving that kind of delicate yeah. balance. And another thought on from that is that, you know, Cubit are a big team now. Mm-hmm. How has that changed with your role as a CEO? Because I, I would imagine when you were, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 plus people, you could know everyone's names. Yeah. You could know what they did at the weekend and you can have a good chat and not really get to know each of these people. And I'm not saying now that, you you know, you've grown double and plus that number yeah. that you don't but surely there's a different level of engagement with the team that that you you have nowadays yeah my my i think that's what's changed the most the way i engage with the team so when we when we started the company our objective was always that we we're on the same floor we were like always looking for offices always looking for places on the same floor so that, that it's almost like it's almost like floor dynamics building dynamics those are the biggest changes so when you start to have people on two floors, you really change. And so we had the first office, you know, sort of about 15 of us in one place. The second office, we got to about 45, 50 on one floor. So I knew everybody would walk around, chance to meet and talk to everybody. Um, but then in that building, we eventually went across three floors. And so you start to lose that day-to-day communication. And so we've always created principles of like one kitchen. Everybody congregates in one kitchen. Um, but you do lose the ability to talk to people day to day. So I've, I've changed my level of engagement. I, I look at ways to, to be very open. I have an open calendar. I have you know my Slack channel. I have meetings. I check in with all different groups, and I hot desk around building as well, and I travel to all our offices at least once a month. And so all of that, try, you know, I try to communicate and understand the business as much as possible and what everybody's up to. And, and ironically, it's the smaller offices. Like when I'm when I'm in the states, for instance, in you know some like our San Francisco office, that's where you it really is back to Cuba. You know, three or four years ago, and you have that. It's it really it's a great feeling. You feel like you're you're back there in the engine <laughs> of of, of, a, of a small team. And, Going back in time. Yeah, exactly. So so you actually really know people well in those scenarios. But lots of entrepreneurs are prone to talking about team dynamic and culture very much in the abstract, but you've rooted it in literal things like mm. the building, yep. the fact that you have one kitchen, the fact that you will hot desk yourself and move yourself quite literally yep. to sustain that kind of culture. There's only ever about 60% of desks occupied. So we're, we're really going to engender hot desking as a core concept just to also save money on not having to move buildings. And so it, it, it creates more collaboration and so, you know, I'm, I'm the first to, you know, embrace that. Um, and the kitchen concept has been fundamental. You know, we have one kitchen. We don't have tea points. We don't allow people to congregate in different parts of the building. We won't be able to be in the kitchen together, eating together, spending time together, because that's the cross-pollination of teams and ideas that lead to the best, best parts of the company. Keep moving seems to be the advice, not buildings-wise, but almost literally. Exactly. Yeah, it's the circulation of people around the building. Is uh, the days of the CEO with the old mahogany desk in the room at the top are, are numbered. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, they're gone at Qubit. Uh, and almost one thing, and it's running out of time. One thing to end on is that um, I've heard a couple of 
founders and CEOs say to me, look, we, we hired a, a person from Google, one of those big, massive companies like Google, and we had to teach them that it's not all about delegation. They have to roll up their sleeves yeah, yeah. and uh, actually do the work sometimes. Um, I imagine you'll have a different perspective on this as yeah, you yeah. for the founding team were from Google. Is there truth in that? Yeah, I mean, what's, you know, Google has enormous resources. So Google has a lot of, um, I mean, I've never been at a company more profitable, more cash generative than, than Google. And, um, you know, what, what Google has gone through is many hiring phases in itself. So I joined in 2005. There were 3,000 people globally maybe 50, 80 to 100 in London. And so it was a roll up your sleeves culture. And then it grew so quickly, 10X in five years in terms of number of employees. And um, it became more corporate and it hired more corporate people through that process. But it's very good at maintaining its values. But a lot, you know, it did hire more people that were like, I've got resources, I'll delegate. Um, so it did change a little over time. Okay, so you're almost at the, uh, you're at the, the, the hard end of Google. It was more like that. I, I invented my job every year at Google. That was the best thing I, I got out of it. Like I would say, hey, there's a problem here. I'd like to solve it. And they'd go, okay, great. Here's an engineer. Here's, here's some budget. Go solve it. And, and so it was, a, it was a great environment for that. I think that's harder to do that nowadays because it's a big company. They got big targets to hit. They got, they got to keep the shareholders happy. So it's a, it's a, it's a different beast. Keep moving, literally and uh, metaphorically. Thank you very much, Graham. Great. Thanks very much. Wonderful.